Welcome, everyone, back to the broadcast. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network, and I, David Woods, am joined by the man across the town, across the country, really, <laughs> Tracy Pearson. Tracy, how are you? I'm good, Dave. I'm good. When uh, that uh, poster on the forum asked about drinks... I, I just mixed myself one. Is it too early? Did too you see, early, too did, early for cocktails? Did you see my response? Yes. Should I mix was, myself one of those? Yeah, that was anything, any alcohol and then chocolate milk. Is yeah. Is that what that was? Yeah, mm-hmm. Actually, I think I've done that before. Well, that's just, I'm, I'm trying to perform the function that we're all disguising, right? Like, well, how about a Capri Sun too? When you well, be, yeah, no, seriously, like just drinks. Of, I don't. I'm not. I'm not. I don't. You know, I'm getting up there in years. I don't want the acidic, you know, Capri Sun in me. I want something smooth, like a good. Oh, I thought good, you were just going for whatever was available because you're. No, 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 no. I'm oh. going for a tasty beverage because the, the reality is, most alcoholic beverages they don't actually taste objectively good. What they taste like is alcohol. And you try to make it as you know palatable as possible. So yeah. I'm I'm just eliminating all pretense. I Take get a you. shot of something, then drink an entire glass of chocolate milk. <laughs> an entire glass. So with every shot, just, you're downing. Yeah, a no, glass I just chug that thing. And the best part about that is you're not getting that drunk because how many glasses of chocolate milk can you really drink? Wow, you've thought this all out. This I've. Is, whew, it's ironclad. Wow. It's a steel trap. No logic gets in or out. Right. Okay. Well, that's amazing. So I'm drinking right now. I've got my little, I've got my little martini glass all fired up. It's one o'clock in the afternoon. I appreciate that. I respect it. What should we talk about, Dave? We should talk about a lot of things. Uh, UCLA might hire an athletic director. They might might actually actually do that. Yeah. 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 Uh, It's not uh, a done deal. Uh, I think they're they are negotiating even as we speak. Of course, I would bet he's trying to get more money. <laughs> are, 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 and, maybe, are, and maybe looking at UCLA's finances and going, wow, do, I mean, do I want to get into this? Is this, is this bad timing? Maybe. But um, I've heard good things about – I'm going to call him his re- – I know you have a really fun name. His name's Martin Jarmond. You got to uh, go Jarton Marmond. Jarton Marmond. It's probably easier to say. So I think when you get really into the spoonerisms where you start reversing things all the time and you just get like, I think it breaks your brain because I can't actually just look at somebody's name and say, oh, that's their name. It's always like a, a subject we're going to talk about later. Uh, Kevin Dirkwood. Um, you know, <laughs> how about how about the thing in your car that uh, you hit a button and it makes your seat warm? What's uh, that? A, a wheat swarmer? A heat seater. Heat seater. Oh, okay, a, a seat, seat, but it's a seat warmer. It's not a seat heater. Nobody calls it a seat heater. It's a seat warmer. It's a wheat seater. A wheat swarmer. Sorry. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. We do call it a heat seater, but I'm sorry. Because, you're 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 Pracy yeah. Tearson. I like that though. That is pretty good. That actually, sounds kind of good. That sounds like a Hollywood star from like the 40s. Yeah, I think yeah. so. What mine's, are you? Mine's not any good. Mine's mine's bad. Just wave duds. <laughs> that sounds like something you'd buy in like Spartan Final. Yeah, no, it's not yeah. good. And then we've got Kip Chelly, which is a common one that everyone knows 
for yeah yeah they like to do that don't yeah they? and then uh crick monan crick monan's pretty good oh that's good that sounds like an old hollywood star too yeah there's a lot uh, but on. martin germond um you know i've been i haven't people have asked me my opinion and i don't want to give an opinion until i actually have one <laughs> Isn't that a novel idea? Yeah. Like, I'm... So, when I was looking at all the... So, I, you know, I I wasn't into, like, you know, evaluating these lists three months ago because, I mean, whatever. You never know how these things are going to shake out, especially at UCLA. But when it started to, you know, you reported, uh, like, I think a few days ago that it was starting to coalesce um, around a few candidates, then I started to actually look into them. And I'm, I'm like, Desiree Reed-Francois, okay, she actually has a resume. You know, she's been the AD at UNLV and has made eh, what I would call two pretty above average to good hires for UNLV, you know? Oh, you think so? Really? Yeah, yeah, 100%. If you can... Really? The last football coach UNLV hired before Marcus Arroyo was a high school coach. They hired the local high school I, coach. So you're saying just because that one was so bad that you're going to say that... Uh, generally, around... People out there in the Pac-12, they don't consider the Arroyo hire a good one. It's fine. It's completely fine for UNLV. UNLV is a trash football program. And I know I know the last two basketball hires. I know them well. TJ's a good recruiter. I know them well, and I will not... I Yes, I like TJ and Marvin Menzies. I'll just say I like those guys. He's a good recruiter. That's all I'm going to say. And he okay. did an okay job at South Dakota State. It was fine. Okay. Uh, but I guess the point is, these weren't like awful hires for UNLV. It's UNLV. It's, uh, you know, a lower tier Mountain West program. Um, and before that, she had a big hand in hiring Justin Fuente at Virginia Tech, by all accounts. So I was well, like, okay. Uh, yeah, I'll cut, I'll cut to Chase. I, you know, I've been trying to gather a lot of information and... I've had a lot of people who have reached out with me uh, to me who've had personal experiences professionally with a lot of these people, and everyone roundly got praised. I, 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 there wasn't too much negativity, um, and I'd say that Desiree Reed Francois was given some praise, but she was also uh, criticized um, with some different situations that. Everything I'd heard about her, uh, a lot of, except a couple of little criticisms, but how, like what you were saying, sounded good except this. And she was the only one that I heard like critical things about. I've heard a lot of good things about Martin Jarmon. The only, the only reservation is people would be scared that he'd be jumping to the Ohio State athletic directorship as soon as it opens up. Sure. And so, okay, so with Reed Francois, the point I was making is that I actually, you know, there's verifiable things she has done that you can look at and then grade on a scale. Um, with Jarmond, um, and this speaks, I think, to your original point, which is I, it's kind of tabula rasa. Like, I don't I don't really know. He just made a football hire, um, this Halfley dude from Ohio State, who's well thought of. Um, but a lot of young coordinators are well thought of because everyone thinks they're getting the next whoever that LSU guy was, Brady. Um, everyone thinks they're getting that guy. Um, he was like a co-defensive coordinator at Ohio State getting hired as the head coach of a football program in a Power 5 conference. Is that a good hire? Maybe. But like, can anybody have any real idea at this point? 
So he's done that, so you can't really judge that one. And he's well thought of. He's a 39-year-old athletic director, so clearly he's well thought of at a Power 5 program. But you just – I have no idea. You know, it's well, it it's a bunch too. of Boston College people saying, yeah, we like him. Okay, great. That's awesome. Uh, I talked to a lot of people. Just in doing this job, you get connections at other programs. Uh, I talked to people at other programs. Uh, some of them ranged uh, – of. Uh, programs that had people who were candidates for the UCLA job. Some of them ranged from, uh, yeah, it wouldn't be that big of a blow if this person left, um, to, yeah, a lot of people around here would like it if UCLA took this person off their our hands. Um, the source I have at Boston College was saying everyone around here is really – really depressed over him potentially taking the UCLA job. So just from that standpoint, not hiring, but an opinion of people within the athletic department, eh, that kind of says something, I think. Um, I know he has connections at UCLA, uh, people who work there that he'll be able to lean on um, and which will help with his transition to. Um, I heard he's very very personable, very charismatic, will be good, does well with donors, does that whole thing, the glad-handing part, really well. So there's that. Yeah, yeah, and that's all good. I mean, I, I think it checks a lot of boxes. I guess my uh, the only trepidation I really have is that he just hasn't done it very long. Um, Absolutely. And... You know, I mean, they hired Dan Guerrero, who had done it for some time, but hadn't had any experience basically manning a football program. And at least Jarmont has, you know, the the years at Boston College. And then on top of that, um, obviously being at Ohio State is clearly good football experience. So I think it's good. Um, I think this is all it, whatever ends up being the result. Well, I shouldn't say that. Assuming it ends up being Jarmond or uh, even like. You know, it sounds like Reed Francois withdrew her name, but if it had ended up being either two of those, that's I think you could make an ob- probably an objective case that it's the best hire they've ever made at athletic director. Like from a at time of hire, what their resume like actually showed, because you see always made a habit of either hiring internally or hiring somebody who had no experience running a major FBS program. That's kind of been their M.O. for the longest time. So hiring somebody outside who's actually an athletic director, who's actually on – because, you know, whatever the the buzz is on Reed Francois, she's largely acknowledged as somebody on the upswing of her career. Hiring one of these people, that's that's pretty cool. That's that's something good that uh, UCLA is doing. And I was looking at some USC message boards talking about Jarmond um, and the potential that UCLA might hire him, and – a lot of other schools are saying, oh, crap, this is a guy who, you know, I would have wanted USC to hire or I would have wanted X to hire. So that that doesn't, and, that doesn't suck. Yeah, and he is going to be challenged. Um, he's coming into an athletic department, uh, I mean, with some unprecedented challenges, not only from the pandemic, but the economic <laughs> dire situation of, that $19 million deficit from last academic year. And now, oh, wow. I mean, I've heard some numbers thrown around. If UCLA doesn't play its football season, 
it could go northward of $50 million debt. And he would have to dig out this program from that. But on the other hand, I mean, just like with all coaches, they want to go to a place where it's it's pretty low, expectations are low, so whatever you do, you're just basically going to improve it. I mean, that's kind of – so, I mean, he, there is that. You'll have that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I, I, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how he handles, you know, uh, and again, assuming he gets hired, um, but it'll be interesting to see how he handles inheriting, you know, somebody with the name of Chip Kelly, how he manages that situation, um, even outside of the, like, COVID and, and budgetary concerns, because a lot of times when ADs come in, they give it basically a year, and then they start cleaning house, um, and... Is he going to have that luxury? Is he going to have that liberty with w- the budget issues being what they are? And um, but that situation might come to a head pretty quickly. Like if UCLA does play this year and it is a bad year, well, things might have to take a, you know, they might have to go a certain way, and it's going to be really interesting to see how anybody handles it. But certainly somebody who's still relatively new in the uh, in the world. That's a good segue for what we should talk about next is the likelihood of a Pac-12 season. I've been talking to a lot of Pac-12 sources. I have a story that's coming pretty soon. Um, I'm hearing right now the Pac-12 is putting together, you know, different scenarios given given what the situation is going to be in July or August. Um, the hope is that teams would be able to start practicing by July 15th to be prepared to start playing their seasons. UCLA season starts uh, August 29th. Um, with the last date possible being like August 1st that they could start practice. It's really going to be dependent on every single uh, different university situation within their state when it comes to the pandemic and lockdown and stay-at-home orders. And also the policy on, and this is a big determining factor, the policy on campus about uh, to what degree students are allowed to be on campus and uh, going to in-person classes. And right now, there is a wide variety (laughs) of perspectives and sensibility among Pac-12 schools. if you've, uh, this will all be in the story, but Arizona, Arizona State look like they are gearing up to play um, for a few. I mean, Arizona has, has said they're going to open campus to students in the fall. I think Arizona State just came out yesterday and said they're returning to limited classes for its summer session in July. Um, Washington State has said in-person classes, Washington State's out there in kind of an isolated location, have a low incidence of COVID-19. Colorado and Utah are putting uh, some things in place to reopen campus and hearing that their programs will likely want to play their season. Oregon, Oregon State might be a little more cautious, I think. Washington's probably a little bit more cautious SC private school. They can really do whatever they want. <laughs> you know, they, they could move that entire team to Arizona and play there if they wanted just to, you know, work around any California based restrictions. Uh, from what I've heard, Stanford 
even though it is it's private too, might be the most conservative about returning to play football. Um, Cal and UCLA are kind of in the same boat, you know, dictated by uh, the University of California. Uh, the, uh, UC President uh, Janet Napolitano said, I think about a week ago, that it would be a mix of in-person classes, uh, uh, on, online classes and a few little in-person kind of experiences, experiences for classrooms in the fall, which kind of, like I wrote, opens the door for them to practice and potentially play a season, but it's really going to be dependent on what LA County and California have in place by August 1st in terms of stay at home orders. Uh, that might dictate it all. I really can't see UCLA or Cal working some way around the stay at home orders that are in California or in their, two respective counties. Um, so many other things else to think about, Dave. Uh, you know, everyone's talked about potentially uh, quarantining a team. I've heard from a number of people. Uh, I mean, I thought so too, but I've heard from a number of people that that might just be too much of, a, of an endeavor to undertake. That if students do come back, they'll be in, they'll be in student housing. There's just going to be a lot of social distancing guidelines, which, you know, group activities, no congregating in group areas, wearing masks. You know, you and I know that's just not going to keep students anywhere from <laughs> from socializing within six feet. Um, so there's so many other things to consider, uh, you know, testing whether state of California will be up and running with a high quality test, affordable test, a quick turnaround test, whether UCLA would even take that on to test its players on a regular basis. So much. I mean, we're not even getting to the point of will uh, fans be able to go to the games? I think that's so, that's going to be a late, a late time decision probably by, by the PAC 12 and by different programs. Um, and then all the scenarios for the schedule is also, they pro they have a few different, a nine game schedule, which is only pack 12 games, a 10 game schedule, which is, uh, adding one additional pack 12 game UCLA would have to add either Washington or Oregon. And then an 11 game schedule, which would be a 10 game conference slate. And then one non-conference game. I haven't heard from anyone that the idea is being thrown around what, what Clay Helton said when he came out of that little webinar that there was the prospect, the possibility of dropping, uh, <laughs> of playing in a, an 11-game schedule of all uh, conference teams. Um, I haven't heard that from anyone else. We've only heard that from Clay Helton. So that's where it is right now so i know you're gonna have a lot of opinions about this go um i think it's all very nice to have ideas about things many months from now um and i don't i don't think anyone can have any freaking clue whatsoever right now about any of it i think you can have all the contingency plans in the world 
But if the seroprevalence studies that have come out in Europe and Indiana in the last you know few days are in any way accurate, meaning that so in Spain they did a whole big countrywide test to see you know how prevalent this virus was, and they came out with roughly five percent of people had had it. They did the same thing in France, and it's roughly the same, a little bit lower. Um, and they did the same thing in the state of Indiana, the great state of Indiana, and it was 2.8%. So you look at all that, and you say, okay, well, we just had two really screwed up months. We still don't have a vaccine or anything close to it. We're basically just kind of opening up. We're... we're Doing this government-led opening up, which isn't actually led, which isn't actually creating any of the opening up that they're talking about. Like Georgia's still, you know, most people are still staying home. Work workplaces have not really opened. Um, but you're, you've got all this stuff happening, and so say it starts to thaw a little bit over the summer, cases are going to rise again. They just right. will because we're no closer to herd immunity or anything like that. Like all the speculation that we're like somewhere north of 50% people have had it. It's nonsense. Um, so and there's no, there's no proof that, that having antibodies even creates immunity. I, they, they pretty much know it will at least at some level, um, like at some short term level, like which for that sort of thing is a couple years, probably um, they know it will. But the thing is just people have, not enough people have gotten it anywhere close to it. Um, so that combined with, um, you know, people are going to start going out and doing more. It's, um, you know, it's going to probably pick up again. And so if we all decide that we're all, all of our states are going to open up in some way over the next couple of months, well, that's really ill-timed for the start of football season. That's, that's a great point. Like the best thing for a college football season would be that everyone stays – Stay put. Uh, stays at completely home until down. August first. Until I'd say everyone, yeah, even longer, except for the football teams. Yeah, because then the cases will go down, and you'll feel a lot more agreeable about these young men going out and playing football. But the thing is, I'm, except I'm, if it spikes now within a month, because some places have opened up, and that's here's the other thing too. While we're in this context. Let's say they do go back and they start. Let's say it does all the cases and hospitalizations and and fatalities go down and they they play four weeks. We have to believe there and assume that there's going to be a spike in October at the conventional standard flu season beginning. So that's something that I heard. I've asked a lot of different Pac-12 sources and they said that that is not even being considered at this point <laughs> no i think there's a lot I, and i think it's happening at all levels and all levels of everything is there's a lot of hopeful thinking going on like just a lot of okay well this is what we're gonna do because this is what we want to have happen so we're gonna base everything off of what we want to have happen um and I, and i completely get it because on the flip side is well we can't have a football season so we have to think as if we will, because if we don't, we're not going to have jobs anymore for a lot of these coaches and, and league officials and whatnot. So I get it. Um, but there's just, we don't have a good solution. I mean, it's not as if we're, um, you know, we're testing, I think a little bit better than we were, but it's not as if we like 
solved the riddle and we've restructured society and now we're ready to emerge in a new socially distant mask ready um, atmosphere we haven't done a lot of that prep work but dave don't you think regardless of that there are going to be sections of this country that uh, and different conferences that are pretty you can bet are going to play their college football No, and, and what I'm the saying SEC, is... what I'm down saying, there in SEC country. Yeah, agreed. And what I'm saying is I don't think there is a good solution because we've just seen proof positive over two months of this um, really honestly kind of inspiring lockdown where the majority of the country yeah. said, okay, I'm going to stay home and I'm going to do my job, that there's a complete failure at every institutional level of this country to actually do any of the things to move the ball forward. So we just saw two months of, okay, now at the end of two months, we're basically in the same position we were at the beginning of the two months. Um, so there's going to be a lot less, uh, and completely reasonably, there's going to be a lot less commitment to it if we have to do it a second time. So, yeah, yeah. I think the SEC states, a lot of them are going to open up, and they can make a case for it. I don't know that it's a great case. I don't know if it's a case that I would make. I think you could still, you know, if, if you – could somehow pitch it that, okay, we've really got to lock down until August 1st, and here's the plan. Here's how we're actually going to get it down to test and trace. Um, here's how we're going to knock down cases. We're going to actually pay people to stay home. We're going to actually hand out masks at every doorstep and make sure everyone has a mask that fits. We're going to you know hand-deliver antibacterial stuff to every single household in America. Like If we're actually going to do that stuff, then you could make a case to lock it down for another couple months. Um, and, but and you but know we the didn't way do that, any of that stuff. You we know didn't. the way to do that in SEC country is to tell them if you got if you all do this for another month and a half, you'll have a much better chance of having an Alabama football. Well, season. this is and this is why it's so frustrating is because th- there was pretty universal buy into this whole idea. There was, um, yeah. and there still is to an extent, but it's not as strong. But there was. I mean, any polling that was looking at it was saying, yeah. We're committed to locking down for a couple months, um, but there was none of the institutional support. And it's a failure at all levels. I'm not trying to point fingers at any kind of partisan thing. I, I think it's a failure at a lot of state levels, including California. Why California hasn't delivered masks to everyone is beyond me. Um, but all these states, federal government on down, um, complete failure of leadership. Um, and without without the financial backing to actually allow people to stay home, without the actual physical things that would help keep people safe in public spaces, um, all you're doing is moving the timeline forward. So if you decided to lock down again until August 1st with none of that backing stuff, none of the you know rent cancellations or whatever it would take to actually get people in a financial position where they can stay home, without any of that stuff, well, what's the point? Um, you, you're going to knock down, you know, the death rate, but then at the end of it, um, there'll be people in literal financial ruin. And I'm not talking about the business owners, which a lot of people are talking about with that, but like common people are going to be in financial ruin because suddenly they have to pay four months of back rent, um, because they got no support during that time. So all of that to be said, I don't think it's illegitimate for some states to decide, okay, screw this. We're going to open up now. Um, yeah, but I think I think no to our American selves. Americans have about a two month tolerance of locking down. 
Well, I don't think it's even that. If it was four months of people getting like a a decent monthly stipend where they don't have to emerge from their houses, and I'm not talking about you know people like me or people like you who you know we're we're doing internet based work or whatever we can work remotely whatever i'm talking about like fast food workers or non essential workers who are still minimum wage employees who can they can't afford to stay home and their businesses are still open so they have to go to work if we could actually pay those people to stay home you might have actually been able to knock this down um, right to but the i point. think given all of those things, all of those factors that are endemic to this, I mean, I, will, I don't think the United States will necessarily ever improve its ability to mount something like this. No, so failed thinking, state. I'm thinking it's two months. <laughs> it's two months. Well, um, I think it's it's two months with absolutely no support. And, uh, and that's the reality of the United States at this moment. And here's the other interesting part that I just touched on. Um, there is a very real scenario that some Pac-12 teams decide they're playing this season and others don't. So um, I've heard a lot of different scenarios that the Pac-12 teams that play could join another conference. They could merge with another conference that has a few teams missing. There's so many different scenarios that are kind of all on the table at this point. So I think we're going to have an unprecedented college football season. I think there are teams playing. I think there are absolutely teams that are going to play the college football season, regardless of where the situation with COVID-19 and the pandemic. I wouldn't say that strongly. Um, I I think at this present moment, I would bet on some teams playing somewhere. But you don't really have to go – you go back to the Spanish flu. The first peak was one thing. The second peak was bigger. Um, if the second peak for this thing, because there is less commitment, um, from people to just stick home and do the whole thing. If the second peak is bigger, um, I, I I could see everybody shutting the whole thing down again because it's, you don't need too many anecdotes of like so many of these players, um, are going to have their own underlying conditions. Um, and it's not going to take more than one of them getting severely ill um, for it to just all come crashing down again. Um, okay, well, let me clarify. Not I, I, I'm going to say there are going to be teams that attempt to play their season. Like they might be four games in and then they have to shut it down. Sure, okay, yeah, uh, I'll buy that. I think, I think, I think there's going to be a lot of teams that break camp, um, for sure. And yeah maybe the the first couple weeks of the season get played without much of a hitch but um it's going to i mean it, it's obviously wild unprecedented times um but yeah i mean all the plans i think it's good that they're considering all the contingencies um i don't think you can like fully game this one out um and i i think the unfortunate reality is i think there's a heavy heavy chance that none of this is going to happen the way people want it to um and I, I think however the season starts, I don't – by November, things are going to look different, even beyond what they look like in August, which is going to look way different from how it looks right now. And I think we have to kind of – I think it's it's good to maybe prepare ourselves that, at, like you just said, it's, it's going to be completely different. There's going to be a lot of other data that people are, are going to use to make decisions. But 
different parts of the country have a different sense of this. And I think we're going to, we are going to see different parts of the country that attempt to play their football season while some don't. Yep. Uh, it's all um, fun. And, that was a probably, real chipper topic. We should we should definitely talk more on that. That was a lot well, of fun. Well, I think I know it's it's not exactly uplifting, but it's it's foremost in everyone's mind right now. Are they going to play? You know, are they going to play the football season or not? Um, and are they going to play a basketball season? And if UCLA does play, will it have McCure Maker? Yeah, on its roster. Dave. Yeah, that was a good segue. Thank you very much. I like that a lot. You're For, the you're the like Segway king. So every once in a while, I just want to try. That was so great. I, coming from you, that means a lot. Thank you. So first, I would say I like the chances of a basketball season more than a football season because there's fewer people involved. Yes. Um. So that's but, one. Right, but it could be starting in the middle of uh, conventional flu season. That's true, but like I, I would push back on the whole seasonal thing still because. At five percent, it doesn't. It just. It's going to be a function of when the the people start moving around and talking to each other again. I don't. There's there's going to be a seasonal element to this in in the you know the fullness of time, but this year it's going to be all bets are off because it's still just very new to everyone's immune system. And then how about with basketball? Play- I mean, football players. You you could make everyone wear a, you know a face mask shield. They could wear gloves. Yeah, no. I mean, basketball. basketball you're players. spitting and sweating on each other all game, right on top of each other. Yeah. Unless unless they can play in like a hazmat suit, which yeah. would be really cool. That'd be so fun. That'd be fun. Yeah. Um, but if there is a basketball season, there is the potential of uh, another player being on the team. Makur 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 Maker. And, I, I'm and not going to be able to do it. Maker maker. I want to go maker maker every time. Maker maker. Maker maker. Um, I I I'm going to say I don't think I've ever seen an eligibility uh, uh, situation like for this recruit. And maybe I'm just I've been doing this so long I've forgotten some of them. But I've I don't think I've ever seen someone who is considering going pro his name's in the draft <laughs> and but he's considering going to college and, and taking his name out of the draft um and it's dependent on whether he gets eligible really and he doesn't need the money <laughs> he's not going to the nba for the money right now because he's taken care of by his cousin thon you can pronounce that one, right? That one's easy. Thon huh. Maker. So he's getting taken care of. And um, and then he's been to, f- I think, five high schools. His transcript has to be just something to behold. But he's a smart kid, I, um, from what I hear. He has good grades, but he never graduated. And you have to graduate within eight semesters. So they would have to apply for a waiver with the NCAA. He'd have to get through the clearing, the NCAA clearinghouse and qualified. And then UCLA would also have to admit him with that transcript. Um, there are a lot of ifs in there. Uh, the one thing, though, recently we've heard that it does sound like if all of those ifs happen, he would. it sounds like he'd go to UCLA. Isn't that how you're reading in it, all of those recent comments? All of it sounds – I mean, it sounds like it's basically been directly saying that. So yeah. 
yeah, I think that sounds right. And if that is the case, um, obviously it's good news. What do you think, like having watched him a little bit on tape and all that kind of stuff, what do you think it would actually mean for next year's squad? Um, well, a lot of it will depend on what Chris Smith does, but let's, you want to make the assumption that Chris Smith returns. Yeah. Let's say Chris Smith returns since you, you know, you posted a little optimistic stuff there, I'd say. Yeah. Um, uh, maker is not a five, uh, even though he's six eleven and he's a pretty long, big kid. He's not a five. He's a stretch four who can put the ball on the floor a little bit Has de- as, I mean, for his size has good handle, um, and he's not gonna. He's not gonna want to play the, the five. Uh, I mean, he's gonna want to showcase his NBA skills and be able to shoot from the outside, take a couple of dribbles. You know, be able to show his versatility around the basket. Absolutely, but he's not gonna play the five. So he'll probably play alongside the five, which would be Jalen Hill or Cody Riley. Um, Chris Smith returns. Um, I think obviously Hill starts. Chris Smith starts. Jaime Yaquez starts, uh, and Tiger Campbell starts. Um, I think Maker would have to show to Mick Cronin that there are a few things that he satisfies for Mick to start him or play him a lot of minutes. But a very real possibility that front line is Hill, Maker, and then that bumps Chris Smith to guarding a three. And then also Jaime Yaquez. So it goes, uh, you'd say Jaime's probably 6'7", right? Yeah, minimum 6'6". Six, six. Okay, so let's say 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, as your two guard. Your small forward, Chris Smith, 6'8 Yeah. Okay, then the four is 6'11", and the five is 6'10". Um, hey, but the point guard's 5'11". <laughs> He's got to make up for all that height, yeah. Know, some way, um, yeah. Who's guarding? Who's guarding? Like, um, you know, all those like six two guards in the Pac twelve. Yeah, I think initially, um, uh, if if Maker is in the starting lineup, which I'm not even sure he would be, he, he might come off the bench for 25 minutes. I I don't know. Um, you have your you have your usual suspects on the roster who are guarding those six two guards. Um, but I, I, I got a little bit more confident as the year went on in Yaquez's ability to guard. Um, and that team would be uh, not necessarily – they might go about it a different way defensively. Uh, they'd go a lot more probably – Matchup zone. Matchup match zone or, or just using, using length and shot blocking ability – as opposed to staying so aggressively in front of the ball. And that would just be with that lineup. I mean, you know, you've got David Singleton, who's a decent defender. You've got Jules Bernard, who is a good defender. Um, and, you know, it, it would give them a lot of versatility. And then secondly, they would put a f- team on the floor that would be so hard for opponents to match up against. Yeah. You know, it's funny. We're going from a lineup where we were talking about the with Knicks, if if Knicks had been around, um, that Hawkes would have to play uh, some four, and now we're talking about him starting at the two potentially. Right. Um, it's just it's interesting the way that the thinking around it changes. Um, 
Yeah, I mean that 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 could work. It, it's a lot a lot of size, um, and reminds me of some of uh, what team was it? Which one? I, I'm trying to remember which one of Howland's teams where he had to start both wares. One of them at the three. Yeah. Um, it kind of, and obviously the, this would be better athleticism pretty much across the board at each position, but still. I don't I don't love it in college basketball going with big lineups um because it's just it's so much more of a guards game um but that could work. I mean, you've got Chris Smith who is a pretty good lateral athlete um even at 6-8 and a half, he can guard some guys that are smaller than him and Hawkes did get better. Um but I mean, you're adding you're adding a a five-star guy to the uh to the group, so See, that's it, the thing. It, it can't be a bad thing. Yeah, well, well, I agree with you that it is turning into a guard-oriented game. The one, the one exception when you do this, when you have so much more height, is when all those guys that were really tall are so much more talented than their opponents. You know, that kind of makes up for, for that. Um, even you know, it, it's a matter a potential NBA player like McCour Maker is on the court and the advantage you get from him offensively is just, is just too valuable um, to worry that much about who he, who he matches up with defensively. And I'm just saying if he proves to be such an offensive weapon, like I think he has a real chance to be. Yeah. So, but it's just fun. It's fun to think it's about. Fun it's fun to think about. And it's, yeah. you know, adding another guy to the group after losing Knicks, that's pretty cool. And it would yeah. be a nice recruiting coup for uh, for for a man, Mickey. Should we call him yeah. Mickey? Are we calling him Mickey? No, no, we're not. No, no, not. under no circumstances, we're calling him yeah. Mickey. Just an interest, really interesting situation that you know, uh, Mick Cronin has already kind of established. He's not going to play too many games with circusy recruitments, but this is such an unusual one. First off, when it's a like number one thing that sets it apart. The kid doesn't need money. <laughs> so yeah. there is not financial concerns that yeah, that's are not limited. a that's not a traditional circus then. No. <laughs> no, it's not a, it's more like Cirque du Soleil. Yeah, no, it's it's a high class circus. Exactly. Some place that you it's a destination circus. You're going there for it. It's a show. Yeah, it's yeah. Cirque du Soleil. There are no animals. It's just all, you know, contortions. It's a bunch of weird bendy people that kind of make you uncomfortable <laughs> to watch. You can't really handle it. I could, it absolutely I, I didn't, does. I did not love Cirque du Soleil because it bothered me. Like, it really bothered me, like, especially the contortionists. Like, the ones who were, like, full on, like, uh, my spine is bending this way now, um, the same way it bends forward. And I, I didn't like that. I, don't I like haven't that. seen a lot of Cirque du Soleil, but I, the original Cirque du Soleil, remember, it was in a tent in Santa Monica. Yeah. Right, I, right next to that. And that was a lot of bendy, bendiness going on. I, I saw the Cirque water Soleil, one. Like, love, you know, love the Beatles yeah, yeah. one. That was good. Was I, saw the, good. I saw the water one at Bellagio last year. Oh, what's that? O? That yeah, O. And oh. it was it, like a bunch of like. Cool jumps and flips and all that kind of stuff, but they have this one part with a bunch of contortionists doing their thing, and I, I, I like, I had to look away. Like I really? couldn't, I couldn't handle so, the contortionists. You're literally squeamish about contortionism. Yeah, I can't watch it. I can't. I can't look. I can't think about it right now. Like I'm having to close my eyes, trying to wipe out the memories. Wow. So if you were ever captured 
by a foreign government and needed to be tortured, they just should bring in some contortionists for you to watch. Yeah, that would do it. Or like try to bend one of my like things the wrong way. Like I'd be like, oh, no, no, no. Don't even put your hands on me to do that. Like you can punch me all day. Just don't bend me in a weird way. Yeah, remember Greg Hicks had a thing for blood. Remember, it just used to make Yeah, it him. makes him really squeamish. And I, I have uh, adult onset claustrophobia. Ooh. I do. I never had it as a kid, man. When I was a kid, I used to build tunnels. and Yeah. I, I literally went into an MRI like five or six and freaked out in a, with a panic attack I'd never had in my life before. And I had no idea. I had it. It's a very real thing. No one ever should scoff. It literally feels like you're in a, like you know those situations you see in movies where you're in a water tank and there and it's and it has a top on it and it's slowly filling up. Yeah, that's that's the panic level that you get with claustrophobia. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Oh God, it's making me. I gotta take another drink. Yeah, things are going well. <laughs> things are going well here uh, at uh, Team Bro. COVID-19, claustrophobia, panic attacks. Devin Kirkwood? And contortionism. Um, UCLA's biggest commitment to date, they've only had three, but uh, overall, let's give UCLA some props. Last few weeks, kind of an uptick, you'd have to say, in their recruiting. Uh, Do you have to say it? I do. I'm, I, I have to say it. Um, Kirkwood was a much sought-after guy. He chose to stay home. Uh, they're doing better with a number of guys than they were just a month ago. So, yeah, I, I, I have to say it. Uh, what was so interesting about his recruitment, and Greg Biggins wrote that whole backstory about how – uh, other programs really effectively use some negative recruiting to almost shake loose uh, Devin Kirkwood from his verbal commitment to UCLA. Uh, what do you think about that, Dave? I mean, do you want to know what I think about it? Uh, I, I think I do. Okay. I, I here's think. here's what I think about it. I think a lot of um, close friends of Devin Kirkwood told him the honest truth about Chip Kelly. Um, and, uh, and that is, uh, that's what happened here and the good, good recruiting by Ethan Young and Chip Kelly that they were able to swing him back around. Uh, excellent. You got to give that credit, man. When you get negative recruited and they literally, and then you've got to win around. him back over zoom. That's yeah. the best recruiting job Chip Kelly's ever done. I would, I'd love to get a tape of that, of that zoom of Chip Kelly given that pitch. Yeah, you know? that hey, is... I, we I've heard from a few a few people that he's very, very personable over Zoom. Yeah, well, he was he was on that Zoom call with uh, the yeah, Pac-12. That, maybe that should be something. Even when there's a vaccine, he should make Zoom calls a regular thing in recruiting. Yeah, maybe it maybe it's like less because you know it can be uncomfortable. I bet, but yeah. like just talking into a webcam, maybe that's a little bit easier. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a good idea. Maybe this get... is the great equalizer. Maybe <laughs> if if you know in our post in our post pandemic world we're still doing a little bit of social distancing, uh, maybe this is what brings Chip Kelly back around, makes him you, uh, you know top notch recruiter in the back twelve. Yeah, the whole story is really interesting. Um, good, good on the kid. Um, it's always interesting to me when the kids are very forthcoming about this stuff. 
You yeah. know, like when they actually I mean, do give expansive quotes about their thought process and the whole thing. I'm like, ah, interesting. Um, yeah, that's what makes this whole job. I mean, this is why we do recruiting quite a bit is not only for fans to get very involved in the talent they're going to get, but the, the stories. And one of the interesting stories really is to know the facts of what's going through a kid's mind, because I think most people and I admit, I know you might not say it, but I find it pretty fascinating on the whole concept of a 16 and a 17 year old having this whole fleet of men, 50 year olds pitching them these sales pitches to convince a 17 year old and his deluded family. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's safe to say that to generalize that all families are, are just do not have an appropriate grasp of their son's ability, talent, And that whole process and to see something like this, to get a real glimpse into how it works, makes it really interesting. Yeah, I give Devin Kirkwood a lot of credit for for being forthright about that. Um, One caveat, though, as Greg Biggins said, UCLA is going to have to – UCLA is going to have to win. The the recruitment is is probably not over. They're going to have to do good showing in 2020 or maybe no showing. Yeah, and a, a no show might be uh might be the uh easier route to go there. I uh, so set you up for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um well no, I was thinking about it. You know, if they eliminate non conference play and it's just nine conference games, that sets up great for Chip Kelly, right? Nine non conference games? No, if it's nine conference games, he doesn't have to deal with the bane of his existence, which is winning a conference ga- a non conference game at UCLA. I don't think there's really – I think this year they would really prefer to play those non-conference games. Dude, I don't know, man. They're, they find a, they'll find a way. They find I, a I'll, way. I'll, I'll just say that I have it on very good authority that they really – just like Clay Helton doesn't want to play Alabama. <laughs> we want we, New Mexico State. We UCLA. want New Mexico State. They want those. They want the non-conference this year, and as many what? So they can are, go one and two. <laughs> as many fans on our forum have said, the absolute UCLA irony of it all. We got to come up with the term UCLA irony because here it is, right here. The one year UCLA gets, let's just say, a pretty easy non-conference schedule. Because it's notorious for having a pretty tough non-conference schedule. Yeah, it's the once-in-a-century pandemic, and you're not going to be able to play your non-conference schedule. we got to come up with a word like you're Horatius when it comes to UCLA irony. Buronity. Brony. (laughs) That has a little bit too many other It's it's got something. (laughs) Buronicky. Buronic. Buronic. It's Bruonic. It's Bruonic. It is Bruonic, isn't it? Bruonic? Yeah. Don't you think? That's the new word, Bruonic. Just a little too Bruonic. Yep. Yes, I really do think. It's horaciously Bruonic. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, uh, Devin Kirkwood. Let's just keep talking. Okay. Do you have anything to do, Dave? No. (laughs) No. We have nothing to do. We must... You know what? I... I finished my drink. I do. Well, that's something you need to do. Do I have a waiter in my house somewhere? Hey. Mm, no. 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 It was. 
I try to snap my fingers. Did you hear that? It's never. Yeah, I heard work. it. I heard it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have a waiter here either. Um, you so don't what, have your little six-year-old daughter bring you a beer? No, I, I haven't graduated her to that point. Um, so one interesting thing that I've seen a lot of memes about is referring to the people who live in your home now as your coworkers, and it's a better way to like think about this whole thing for those of us working from home. Um, and it's always funny to do it with your small children. Um, you know, like my coworker. Uh, took off her pants just like in the living room earlier. I, um, I see no difference from when I ever worked in an office. That's right. What I no, yeah. I, my coworker won't stop screaming at the top of her lungs for no Again? apparent reason. Again, something we've all experienced yeah. in an office. My co one of my coworkers hit my other coworker because she wouldn't give her a toy. One of my coworkers flung her, her feces across the room. They're not monkeys, Tracy. Come on. <laughs> I just like saying flung feces. No. Oh, they... what, what would be your thing? Say it. Flung feces. Fung, fung fleeces? Yeah, fung you'd probably go with a... Yeah, you'd probably go with a yeah. fing flussies. Something okay. like that. Good. It's a tough one because whenever you've got the same letter, um, it just doesn't work as well. You've got to use the same first sound over the other one. It's just, it's tougher. It's not unworkable. Oh, God. No, that's what I'm talking about. It's a full brain-breaking exercise. Okay. Like, you just start sitting there, like, you're in a meeting, and you hear somebody's name for the first time, and you're like, oh, what's that in reverse? And then you think of rules for it. Oh, well, you can't, like, if it's an AA, you just can't do it. But then you're like, wait, maybe I can do it with the first sound, and then you figure out a way to do that, and then suddenly it's just, you're off to the races. But it's brain-breaking. Like, I can't think of some people's names without just doing it. Okay, do this one. Mol- Molokai Matavaya. Matavea. But no, again, it's MM. It doesn't it doesn't really I know, work. that's why I want it's the most challenging for you. I Molokai Matavea. It's Molokai Matavea, but it's like not fun, you know? Okay, like it's it's not as fun cuz it's the same, you know, first sound. I'm bringing him up because our boy Blair Angulo <laughs> do that one, Blair Angulo. It's Air Blangulo. <laughs> well, and then um, you've got you've got you've got. It's just a little variation of Pig Latin. Hand, Hand and Bruffman. Hand and Bruffman is great. Hand and Bruffman, that's good. Yeah, no, uh, Hand and Bruffman is like uh, he's like an enforcer for somebody in like Air, the twenties. Air Bangulo. Air is that what it was? Yeah, Air Bangulo. Air um, Blangulo. He just he just put in um, a crystal ball for Molokai Matavea. So great. there you go. Yeah. There you go. See? On the upswing. Football recruiting. They're Bra- not necessarily doing well with a lot of other guys, but they're they're doing better with their targets. Let's put it that yeah. way. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> that's really great. Okay, that's enough. I need another drink and I can't get it from here. So No, no, no. You that's a good enough reason to stop this podcast. <laughs> All right. Well, for Tracy Pearson, I'm David Woods, Bruin Report Online. We will talk to you again next time. Stay safe out there.